Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for your grace, for your love. We sang about your mercy this morning, and we know that we are here because you have called us. And not only do you call us, Father, you know us, every single one. And so, Lord, this morning as we listen to your word, we pray that through your word that you would remind us of this truth, that you would comfort, encourage, embolden us so they may live for you. And so, Lord, open our, our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, and be pleased with our worship today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. It really is a very privileged and a special Sunday uh, for me to be able to come and share the Word of God for us. And uh, I'm going to apologize that we be speaking mostly in English, but I pray that as, as we prayed, that our hearts would be open. So regardless of whether it's in English or in Korean, that as we hear the Word of God, uh, that God's Word would truly take root and transform all of our lives. Um, on the EC side, this past year, we've been going through the book of Acts. And um, this morning, I thought I wanted to share just one story that I trust would be a blessing and an encouragement for us. In Acts chapter 9, we come to the story of a man named Saul. And this Saul will later, later be known as the Apostle Paul. And he is arguably going to be the most important theologian, uh, apologist, and missionary in the early church movement. It's a wonderful story. And it's a powerful story, and it's a story that is amazing, especially as we see how this Saul becomes the Apostle Paul. And in the book of Acts, we're going to find this conversion story take place at least three times. Here in chapter 9, and again later in Acts chapter 22, and one more time in Acts chapter 26. And... And all the different letters that even the Apostle Paul himself will write to the different churches, he will write of his own conversion story. Now you might wonder, why does the Bible include this conversion story so many times? And if you think about it from a practical standpoint, it's, it's understandable, because Saul was really public enemy number one to the early movement of the church. And we're going to see this in our story this morning. He was the single greatest threat standing in front of the church as it was trying to expand and live into its vision. And so from the perspective of the people who are now receiving Paul, right, when he becomes Paul, now into their arms as one of their own, you can see some of the trepidation, some of the doubts or the fear, because they're thinking, oh my goodness, are you really who you say you are? Has this transformation actually taken place, or is this another ploy to trick the believers into telling them who they are so that he can drag them into prison? Again, it's, it's such a powerful testimony of transformation. And, and through this story, what I want us to see is the unmistakable demonstration of God's grace and love, not only for Saul, but to each and every single one of us here today. And so, as we go through these verses together from verse 1 through 19, I want us to see this. Whether you've been coming to church your whole life, or this is your first time, whether you've accepted Christ or not, the truth of God's love demonstrated through the story of Saul's conversion is unmistakable. And I want us to be encouraged by that, and want us to see the truth that we find in these verses together. So, let's jump right into this. 
in Acts chapter 9, starting from verse 1. Luke, who is the writer of this book, he continues his storytelling of the early church, and he begins by saying, but Saul. Now, this is in the English, in the English Standard Version. However, in the NIV translation, the writer says, meanwhile, Saul. I think for the sake of storytelling, the word meanwhile fits better than the word but. And the reason for that is because Luke is jumping around as he's telling the story. Remember, it's the story of the early church, and there's a lot going on. We get introduced to the Holy Spirit. There's stories of the incredible uh, growth of the church, as well as new and unexpected characters like Simon the Magician, the Ethiopian eunuch. There's a lot going on. But Luke says, meanwhile, here is this guy named Saul. And we're coming back to this character because in chapter 7, you remember there's the stoning of Stephen. He's being martyred and being stoned to death. And we get a glimpse of this man named Saul in chapter 7, verse 58. That as people are stoning Stephen to death, they're getting hot, right? Because they're throwing rocks, they're getting warm. And so they take off their outer jackets. And Luke says... Here is this man named Saul, who offered to hold their clothes while people stoned Stephen to death. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, you see this chilling description of this guy, who not only aids in holding the cloak of those that are stoning Stephen to death, but also has this look of approval as he watches someone die. So we go from Stephen's death, and we jump to Simon the Magician. We jump to revival in Samaria. We talk about the Ethiopian eunuch, and Luke is going to circle back, and he says, meanwhile, here is Saul. We come back to him. And Saul has not changed since the death of Stephen. Because notice the word that Luke is going to use to describe Saul. He says he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord in Acts chapter 1 or 9 verse 1. And the way that Luke is going to use the the Greek to express or describe Saul, he's really trying to paint a picture of this wild hog, right? In Korean it's meteji, right? This wild hog that's breathing, like breathing In and out, threats and murder. He's filled with fire and passion and anger and vengeance. Now, when you read this, the the question, one of the many questions that we ask ourselves is, what is going on here? Why are you so angry that Luke is even going to use the words, you're like a wild hog? Are you just this violent person who loves to see people uh, in suffering and in pain? People who are being stoned to death. If you really got that much rage, is this who you are? Now, I think in some sense you could interpret it like this. But I think a more likely way to understand who Saul is, is if you understand where he's coming from. Now, if you recall the way in which Saul introduced himself in the various letters he writes to the early churches. Now, by the time he writes the epistles, he becomes the apostle Paul. And when the Apostle Paul introduces himself, what does he say? For example, I want you to see in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. This is his introduction to the church in Philippi. And starting from verse 4, this is what he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Basically, he says that you cannot find a more devout person, particularly Jew, than himself. He lists all of his credentials and he says, I'm the most dedicated Jew you can find. Not only highly educated, but my adherence to the Jewish laws, to the teachings of the commandments, the way I live my life and dedicate it to Yahweh. You can't find someone like me. Now, when you think about this perspective and you look upon what's happening, especially through the disciples of Jesus and the early church movement, Christianity is a direct threat to everything that Saul and the other Jews held dear and knew to be true. And so for them, it was this kind of grassroots movement undermining all the things of the Old Testament scripture, all the promises of the prophets, all the things of the word of God, everything that Saul had dedicated his life to to protect and to promote. It was threatened by this new movement called Christianity. Threatening everything about what he loved. And so what we're seeing here is Saul's dedication. Once again, living up to his reputation as the Jew of all Jews. Pharisee of all Pharisees. He's going to now champion the guarding of his faith against this upstart movement. You see, brothers and sisters, there's something very important that we must not forget about our faith, especially this Christian faith as we follow Jesus. Many of our lives, and many of us, try to live our lives as good citizens, um, to be a good neighbor, to be a good co-worker. And as followers of Jesus, we try to keep the peace and live as good witnesses, as disciples of Jesus. However, there is something that we must not forget. Even when Jesus was sending out his disciples, he warned them that the world will be hostile against them. And why is that? Is it just because the world is evil and perhaps there is some truth to that? But one of the primary reasons that the world is, or what the world finds our faith to be so offensive, or a reason why the world may be so threatened by our faith, is because fundamentally our faith is a converting faith. It is a faith that goes against our modern culture and tells us, which tells us that we can believe and do whatever we want. Our faith, the Christian faith, does not affirm that all beliefs will eventually lead to the same place so long as we live a peaceful life. Our faith, fundamentally, again, is a converting faith. Our faith is an exclusive faith, meaning that without putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is no way to be saved. And I know, especially in this day and age, it doesn't sit well, but we cannot forget again, as Jesus himself taught his disciples, you cannot serve two masters. We have one Lord, one God, and one Savior. And so here, from Paul or Saul's perspective, in the Jewish sense, He's seeing Christianity as a direct threat, trying to convert Jews to follow after Jesus. And so he's got this passion and dedication to say, no, this is wrong. And he's trying to defend his faith. And so you see Saul's passionate response as he breathes out murderous threats against all the followers of Jesus. He's so angry that he's going to avenge his faith against this upstart movement. 
Now, as we see this playing out, not just in his demeanor about breathing threats and murder, but notice the next words that he says while he's breathing these threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus. Saul goes to the high priests and asks them for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus. And if he found any belonging to the way, this is the early movement, right? The Christian way, men and women, he might bring them back bound to Jerusalem. So this Saul, this Pharisee of all Pharisees, is going to request a meeting with the high priests. And I want you to notice something. He's not being prompted. He's not being summoned by the high priest. He's volunteering. He's asking to meet with the high priest. And this is what he says. I'm in Jerusalem. I want to go up north to Damascus, which is even further north than Samaria. And I want you to give me letters to take to the synagogue to, in Damascus. And the letters are going to be lots of things. And one of them is to give me authority to imprison anyone who is living in the Christian way. So that as I go up to Damascus and I'm imprisoning all these people, if anyone asks by whose authority is Saul or am I doing it, he can say, look, here's my letter giving me approval to do these things. So Saul is not just a dedicated in his thought, but he's going to volunteer his time. He's going to commit. He's saying, I'm going to go up north and I'm going to find anybody, men or women, And if they're going along this upstart threat against my faith, then I have approval. So I have this proof and this permission from the high priest to put them into prison. He's a passionate man. Now, while he's on his way, look with me in verse 3. This this Metteji Saul, he's going on his way. In verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And the word I want you to focus on here is the word suddenly. Suddenly. Now, the Korean is hard. is holyonhi, right? It's even hard for me to pronounce. In my mind, suddenly means kapchagi, right? All of a sudden, it comes unexpected. Saul is on his way, and without any warning, without any precursor, you see this powerful intervention from God, this sudden bright light. Now it happens, this light comes in many times in the Old Testament scriptures. Now, I want to take a moment and point out the significance, especially the word suddenly, the sudden nature of God's intervention in Saul's life. Because remember, again, Saul has not changed before this light appears in his life. There's no repentance that has taken place. He's not in a place where he's remorseful of what he has done. He's not in a place where he's seeking Jesus. In fact, he is in the exact opposite of that reality. His only mission is to go up to Damascus and to find others following the way and to throw them into prison as he breeds out murderous threats against the disciples of Jesus. Nothing has changed in Saul, and yet suddenly God intervenes. You see, brothers and sisters, so often we have this understanding that in order to be received by God, we have to be in a place of repentance or we have to have our lives put together. That we need to have, at the very least, a desire to follow. Then God will come and intervene and make himself at home in our hearts. But church, again, look at this incredible word. Suddenly, nothing happened. 
Nothing had changed in Saul's life, and yet suddenly God intervenes. There is this light that shines. And the response to this light, right? How does Saul respond to this light? He falls to the ground. Starting from verse 4, this is what Luke says. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now let's pause for a second. I want you to imagine the scene unfolding like a, like a movie. Luke is telling the story of the early church. He tells of all the miraculous things that are happening with Stephen, with Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch, so on and so forth. And then he comes back and he says, there is this character named Saul who's so angry, so passionate, so vigilant to protect his faith. And then suddenly this light shines and here comes a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, imagine with me, Again, the scene unfolding, and what kind of tone do you hear the sentence being read? How is God speaking these words to Saul? For most of us, I would assume, you, as you read through these verses, it's the way I read it. It's with anger, with vengeance, and with rebuke. It's as if your parent, when you did something wrong, right? Because Christ is showing up to Saul and he's saying, why are you persecuting me? Why are you putting my beloved children into prison? Why are you so angry? You stood there watching Stephen being stoned to death. Why are you persecuting me? You see, most of us would hear it like this. But you see, brothers and sisters, I want to offer you something entirely different. And the way that we're going to see that is the way in which God actually speaks to Saul. So look carefully with me again at verse 4. This light appears, and the first thing that this voice says is to repeat Saul's name twice. So again, what does it go? It says, Saul, Saul. Now, for you and I, it may not seem that important, but in our scripture, when God calls somebody their name twice, it's actually very important. If you look up on the screen, there's all these different times that this happens in both the Old and in the New Testament. And you'll see the times that God speaks the call, the name twice in the same way is in Acts 9, by repeating this name. And when this happens, we call it in Bible terms, double salutations. At least in English, that's what we call it. When God repeats a name, that's all it means. And it happens throughout the Old and the New Testament. And the earliest examples we see, again, as you saw up there, from Genesis chapter 2, when God calls Abraham, right? Abram. I think that's how you say it. (laughs) Abraham. And then in Genesis chapter 46, when he calls Jacob or Yaakov, he calls Jacob, Jacob. Later on in Exodus chapter 3, when God speaks to Moses, to Moses, he says, Moses, Moses. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. Remember when he talks to his prophet Samuel? Do you remember his calling story? Samuel is sleeping. He hears his voice. He runs to Eli and he says, what do you want? Eli says, I didn't call you. So he goes back to sleep. Happens three times. And again, God speaks. And he says to Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. In the New Testament, starting in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sitting and Mary is sitting at the foot of Christ. And Martha is busy getting the party ready. And so Martha comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, 
Tell Mary to get up and help me because there's a lot of things to do. And Jesus says to Martha, Martha, Martha. In Luke chapter 22, when Jesus speaks to Simon Peter, when Peter is passionately defending Christ, when Jesus says, all of you are going to desert me, Peter says, no, not me. And right before Jesus predicts even Simon Peter's denial, Jesus looks at Simon and he says, Simon, Simon. Perhaps one of the most powerful examples in Matthew chapter 27. Remember when Jesus is hanging on the cross. Before he breathes his last, he looks up into heaven and he yells. And what does he say? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, it happens only a handful of times in our scriptures. Again, a few more times in Matthew and this time in the book of Acts as God speaks to Saul. Now, there's several reasons why God does this. First is to grab our attention. God is speaking and it's to grab our attention. And certainly this is the case in each of the times mentioned earlier, whether it's Abraham to Jacob, Moses, Samuel. When he says your name twice, you pay attention. But secondly, each time God addresses with these double salutations, whether it's to Abraham, Jacob, Moses, so on and so forth, when God addresses these double salutations, it takes them from where they are, and God lifts them to a prominent place and position that something significant is going to happen in their lives. So every time, whether it's Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, God lifts them and puts them in this position. But thirdly, and I think this is the most important part, When the Hebrew scriptures, and even in the New Testament texts, when you hear God speak the name twice, the reason for this is an expression of deep intimacy. A deep intimacy. It's a personal knowing. Something that can only be defined with such intimate knowing between two people. It is a loving and tender expression that can only be shared when there is this incredible love. Now, to demonstrate this, again, go back to Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he calls out, my God, my God. It's it's not just in suffering, but remember, Jesus is part of this triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they share this intimacy that we will never fully know. And so when he calls out, he's calling out, as an only intimate person can. And each time when God speaks the name twice, it's to convey this message of knowing deep intimacy, love, grace, and mercy. Now, just to make a point, let's contrast this to another time it happens in Matthew chapter 27, verses 21 through 33. Now, this is when Jesus is talking to his disciples and to his followers. And look with me, starting from verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, you see the double salutations again, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name? And did we not do mighty works in your name? And then Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So many people at the end of the age will come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not heal? 
Did we not perform miracles in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. So what's happening here? The followers of Jesus are using the double salutations to address Jesus. Lord, Lord. And what they're implying is their intimacy with Christ. They're saying, we knew you, Jesus, intimately and personally. But what does Jesus say to them? I never knew you. You may claim to have known me, but I never knew you. You say my name as if you knew me intimately, but I never knew you because your heart was not there. So with this in mind, let's come back to Acts chapter 9. Many of us, we hear this voice from heaven, this light that shines, and as Saul goes, he lays face down, we hear God speak to Saul in an angry, vengeful, and rebuking voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But let's come back and put this into context. Perhaps it's not an angry, vengeful voice, but perhaps it's consistent. It's one of intimacy, one of mercy, one of grace. As God speaks to Saul and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The tone is entirely different. You see, brothers and sisters, our God has every right to be angry, vengeful, and rebuking with Saul. But he does not do that. He speaks with intimacy. He speaks with grace. And he speaks with mercy. And then see what happens. Again, how does Saul respond? Look with me, verse 4 and 5. He's falling to the ground. He hears a voice, not with anger, but with mercy. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asks, who are you, Lord? Now, again, if you understand who Saul is, he's not just going to call anybody Lord. Right? He's the most devout Jew. He will bend to no one. He will never profess Lord to anyone other than to Yahweh. But there is something about the intimacy that causes even Saul to say, this is my God. He comes and he says, this is my God, not out of fear, but he's genuinely, who are you? That calls me so lovingly. That calls me so intimately. Who are you, Lord? And I want you to notice his shock when he, resp- when he hears the response. Because the voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, again, remember what's going on. Saul had dedicated his whole life to stopping the, this movement. So much to the point where he is Metdeji Saul, right? He's breathing threats. He's giving approval to Stephen. He's going to volunteer to travel north up to Damascus to imprison anyone who was there who's following the way. The name that Saul hates the most is what? It's Jesus. The name that causes Saul to physically breathe out murderous threats is Jesus. So then can you imagine the shock and amazement that Saul is experiencing? It's not anger, it's not rebuke, but it's a voice of intimacy, personally knowing, seeing Saul. Why do you persecute me? And then he falls forward and he says, who are you? And he hears the name that he hates the most. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. You see, in Acts chapter 9, we don't see too much else here, but later on in Acts chapter 22 and 26, Saul is going to write his own personal testimony of what happens. All we know from here 
is that he falls and everyone else is amazed because they hear this voice. And you see later on in the book of Romans or the letter to the Romans, Saul, as he becomes the Apostle Paul, he gives testimony of God's love. And I want you to hear uh, and read with me what Paul says. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. This is one of my favorite renditions of God's love for you and me. And I want you to hear it in the context of Acts chapter 9 as we hear about Saul's conversion meeting with Jesus. Okay, so keep that in your mind as you read, as you listen from Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 10. This is the Apostle Paul, or Saul, as he writes. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Church, do you think that, that Saul or Paul is writing from his experience of meeting Christ as the road to Damascus? He begins by saying, for those that are weak, Jesus died. For those that are ungodly, and even Christ died for those that are sinners, he died. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, even while we are his enemies, Jesus dies. Not just the ignorant, not just the powerless, not just the weak, but those of us that are actively in revolt against our Christ, against our Lord Jesus. Christ gave his life up for us. You see, church, that experience transformed something in this zealot of a man who had dedicated his life to persecute and end this early movement. It wasn't anger. It wasn't rebuke. It wasn't vengeance. It was the, it was the kindness of God that transformed him. Because while Saul was still an enemy of God, our God intervened and called out to him, Saul, Saul, intimately as a father. You see, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, again, the Apostle Paul writes this, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. You see what's happening, again, in Acts chapter 9. Number one enemy of this upstart movement, in his own right justified, passionate, fierce to stop and snuff out any threat against this Jewish faith. He goes on his way voluntarily to imprison even more, and suddenly this light comes and he hears a voice. But it's not one of rebuke, not one of anger, but it's one of intimacy, calling his name in a way that he's never heard before. Saul, Saul. So much to the point, Saul responds by saying, who are you? And to his shock, he hears the name that he's hated his whole life. 
a name that he's been dedicated to destroy. And he says, I am Jesus. And rather than a hatred or an anger, than vengeance, he hears intimacy. And what does this intimacy do? What does this kindness do? It changes Saul forever. See, church, brothers and sisters, I want to speak to you, especially for those of you that have been going to church your whole life, and yet you still wonder if you are in the loving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's because you have doubts or because of their life and the choices you've made, whether because you feel like your faith is not fully there compared to others, fill in the blanks. You see, this story this morning is for you and for me. As Paul writes, for those of us that may feel weak, for those of us that may feel ungodly, for those of us that may feel like sinners, and yes, even for those of us that are enemies and actively persecuting Christ, Christ's love is sufficient for you. Nothing you and I did warranted God's grace. It was a free gift. Suddenly, this light intervened in your life and in my life. And for those of you that have never stepped into foot to church until this morning, this is the God we worship. A God that doesn't say you have to have pre-requirements or prerequisites, or unless you make yourself acceptable, only then will God grant you mercy. We have a God that says, I will love you, even when you are unable to love me. I will love you when you cannot. I will love you even when you hate me. For my love for you is the same. You see, the story of Saul's conversion is not just an amazing testimony, but this is what Christ's love has done for every single one of us in this room. And especially for those of us that feel guilt and shame. See, the reason we can turn to our God with confidence and with boldness is because when God calls our name, it's not one with disappointment or anger or vengeance, but God calls you intimately, lovingly, in a way that our Heavenly Father can. For the sake of time, I'm just going to run through the rest of the verses. and Starting from verse 11... We see another character named Ananias. And God approaches Ananias and says to him, uh, Rise and go to a street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. See, God says to Ananias, I want you to go there and I want you to go to this house. And you're going to meet a guy named Saul of Tarsus. And I want you to go. I want you to lay your hands on him. And something really funny happens here. Ananias hears this voice and it says, Go find Saul. And you know what happens is Ananias says, God, um, do you have the right Saul? You see, for us who are Korean Americans, we have last names like Lees and Kims, and there's a lot of Lees and Kims. What Ananias is doing when God says, go find Saul, he's like, God, do you have the right Saul Lee? Because this Saul Lee from Tarsus is public enemy number one to the church. In fact, this Saul Lee has volunteered to get approval from the high priest so that he can throw people like me into prison. Are you sure you have the right Saul? you sure you didn't mean Saul Kim, maybe? Now, the thing I want you to notice here is that when Ananias goes to our father, now, remember, he's talking to God, the sovereign, the all-knowing, and he says, are you sure, God, 
So kambangjo, right? God does not respond to him with rebuke. What God says to Ananias, he says, go. You see, for many, and especially for myself, I have family members and friends that I still pray for that do not yet know God. And if I'm honest, there are some people in my life where I'm like, there's, there's no way. God, are you sure you have the right person? And the thing to note here, and I think this is what Luke wants us to see, is that even when we come in and we question and we have our doubts, and we ask God, are you sure? Our God is a God of patience. Not only for the new believers or the enemies like Saul, but even for those that are already in his presence. And so when we have doubts, when we have questions, we come to God in confidence because this is our Heavenly Father who again calls us and knows us intimately. And this God will confirm, he will reiterate to us, and he will come and he will affirm and he says, yes, this is my person, my tool, my instrument, go. And so Ananias went, laid his hands on this man named Saul. He speaks these words, brother Saul, and it changes the course of human history as we know it. Church, for those of you that are praying for even the most unlikely candidate to receive God, At any moment, God can intervene. At any moment, even the most logically impossible moment, God can intervene. What we are called to do is to continue to pray, but we are also called to get up and in obedience to go testify about this Jesus. God will work, and his kindness and his mercy will lead those who do not know, that are not able, that are enemies, to know the loving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then our responsibility then is to be vessels, not of anger, vengeance, rebuke, or fear, but of God's mercy and grace. So as we close, I want to invite us like this. Again, whether you've been coming to church your whole life, or whether today is your first time, whether you wrestled with God's love for you or your place of belonging in God, this morning the story of Saul's conversion and God's intervention in Saul's life, this is your story and this is my story. See, God reached out to me when I was at my worst. And to my utter surprise, instead of disappointment, instead of anger, instead of rebuke, What I heard was mercy, acceptance, and forgiveness. And it was the kindness of God that brought me to repentance. Church, we are loved. Nothing can change that. And so I want to invite you, come home. Come back to this Christ. And for those of you that have yet to profess your faith in Jesus, if you do not know this Jesus intimately, come speak with us. For we are eager and longing to share with you the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ for sinners like myself. Come and fellowship with us, with this intimate and loving God. And for others who are feeling the prompting, who feel the weight of this burden, 
whether it's for your coworker or your family member, in the name of Jesus, do not give up. Continue to pray. Continue to wrestle. Move in faith and in obedience. For the Spirit is living and active. And the Spirit of God will guide us in all truth as we bear witness to the kindness of God. Amen. Let us pray together. Now before we sing a song of response, again, I want to invite you. For those of you this morning that feel ungodly, for those of you that feel weak, for those of you that feel guilt and shame because we are sinners, for those of you that have been living actively running against God, May you hear God call your name this morning. May you hear the intimacy, the love, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come home, for our Father's arms are open wide for you. And for those of us that have been praying for our parents, for our friends, our family members, continue to pray. Do not lose hope for the Spirit is willing and our Spirit the Spirit of God is strong and the kindness of God will lead the world to see the goodness and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So won't we won't you join me in pray? Let's pray together and then we'll sing of God's goodness and His love. Let's pray together shall we? Come on. Heavenly Father I pray that this morning Give us ears to hear you calling out to us. Father, we often hear disappointment, failures, rebuke. Father, we know that you call to us in love, in mercy, and in grace. And so, Lord, I pray for anybody that is in this room who is hurting, who is lonely, who is scared, Father, that you would give us ears to hear you call out to us only in the way that you can. And when you call our names, Father, give us the courage to come running home to you. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you would lift us up, fill us with your grace and with your mercy. And, Lord, we pray for the world, our country, our families, all of our coworkers, Help us to continue to intervene and pray, but also that we would be obedient as Ananias to rise up, to go, to be vessels of your kindness and your grace and mercy, and that through us, the world would know that you are truly our good, good Father. Thank you so much. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father that is unchanging, unending, and unconditional, And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all both now and forevermore. Amen.